0: No longer outsiders. Now they belonged. It's a continuation of renovation, of constantly being transformed from the inside out. Our heart is that this would feel like family. This would feel like home. God is building a house, and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. Yeah, that was awesome. We want to uh, welcome you if you are new to Campus House or visiting today. We're very glad that you're here. And if you are new, um, just to catch you up, our theme for the year is Reframing the House. And that has a couple of different parts to it. One is this renovation of the heart that Jesus is doing in each of us. And then the other part is the reframing of the house, all of us together, what he's doing in his church. There's a third part that he is literally going to be reframing this house um, this next year. Uh, and uh, come April, this, uh, this lovely mushroom will be blown up. Not literally, but it's fun to say that. And um, the next year, we will be in exile waiting for the new building to, to be built. And so this is, a, this is a really interesting time for us as a church, really exciting time. And we wanna take this year um, to look at the book of Acts and to see how might uh, Jesus be reframing us as this particular body of Christ. Um, First Peter chapter two says, you are God's house being built with living stones. Ephesians two says, you are being built together into a house of God in spirit. And we just saying, unless the Lord builds the house, those who who build labor in vain. And so this is this is Jesus' house. He's the foundation, he is the capstone, he is the cornerstone. Um, he is constant and He is unchangeable, but the work that He is doing is constant transformation in us and in us together. And that's the whole essence of discipleship: that it's not a one and done check-the-box deal. It's Not, I was dunked and so now I live the rest of my life however I want to live. It's like, no. It's like this entry point into the kingdom, Its entry point into the church, this entry point into life with Jesus is a, a continuation of discipleship. It's a continuation of renovation, of constantly being transformed from the inside out. And he's doing that in... The church and has, from its inception, which is uh, both frustrating in a way for those of us that want to figure things out and check check the boxes, but also deeply encouraging that in some pretty large ways the church has always uh, been in process of being transformed by Jesus. And so the book of Acts is a a great template for that. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 6 today. If you want to turn there in your Bible. The church is just months old, but already uh, there is a need to reframe what it looks like. And I I love that Luke, the author, doesn't skip over the messy parts. Um, There have been threats from outside through persecution, and there have already been threats from inside, um, in terms of hypocrisy and duplicity. Today we're going to see a different kind of threat, and it's only seven verses that we're going to look at today, but it is uh, just packed with stuff that we can take away and apply to our own situation, okay? So... I want to set it up, here's the situation, here's the, here's the issue, here's the problem, here's the solution, and then the, the uh, response to that, okay? So here's where we're going. The situation, Acts 6, 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So the church is, is growing, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples, the apostles go out onto the street, and they are proclaiming, they are worshiping in all of these different languages of the people that are gathered in Jerusalem, and Peter stands up and preaches, and, and people respond to the gospel, and 3,000 people were baptized, and the church is launched in Jerusalem. Uh, Then we see in Acts chapter 2, this portrait of the church, this preaching and teaching of the word, and prayer, and breaking of bread, which meant meals, and the Eucharist, and communion, and the fellowship, this gathering, and the sense of families. And people were getting together in homes, they were getting together in synagogues, they were getting together at the courtyard, at the temple. Any chance they got to get together to worship, and to pray, and to fellowship, and to break bread, they did. They did. They were being set free from sin. They were being set free from empty religion. They were embracing the risen Jesus. They were receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. There were signs and wonders, healing of sickness and disease. There was this interdependence, this unity. They had all things in common. No one clung to their stuff. There was a meeting of physical, intangible needs. And the result was that thousands of people were coming to Christ, They heard the gospel. They saw the signs and wonders. They experienced the radical generosity of Jesus' people. And they repented, and they were baptized, and they were brought into community, into family. No longer outsiders. Now they belonged. And the family just kept growing. In this very oppressive culture, this family kept growing, this distinctive group of Jesus followers. God had been adding to their number in the first couple of chapters. Now he's multiplying. So says they kept increasing. With growth, though, came chaos. And in the chaos, individuals, including the most vulnerable, were being overlooked. Thus, here's the problem. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the church at this point was focused in Jerusalem, and it was mostly made up of Jews, almost predominantly of the Jewish population, but there were two distinct groups of Jews. There was the Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebraic or Aramaic-speaking Jews who used Hebrew uh, in their worship services. They had very two distinct groups of Jews. The Grecian Jews or the Hellenists were a number of Jews that had lived outside of Palestine that had moved back to Jerusalem. The Diaspora was this dispersion or scattering of Jewish people because of the exile. Can you put that next slide up? And so, because of the exile and Roman occupation, Jews were scattered all over the known world. But many had moved back to Jerusalem. Some had come back for a feast and never left, and some others had been wanting to come retire to Jerusalem. And so there was something sentimental about coming back, even if it meant a poorer way of life. So they were Jews, but they still had an affinity for where they grew up, you know, all over the place. And so much of this world was Greek speaking. So not only did they speak Greek, but they had embraced parts of Greek culture and they brought that back with them. So you had these synagogues. These Jewish places of worship, there were 480 some scattered across Palestine, but some of those were specifically Greek-speaking and Hellenistic. Also in Jerusalem, we had Judean Jews, the Hebraic Jews. They spoke Aramaic, but they spoke Hebrew in the temple, but they thought themselves as superior to the Hellenist. They were a pure version of Judaism. And this was the racial ethnic climate. This was the religious climate in Jerusalem when the church came on the scene. And there were very distinct divisions in Judaism. And unfortunately, those barriers overflowed, carried over into the church. So we've been reading in the last couple of chapters about how the church had all things in common And the people were selling fields and their houses to give money to the poor. And that money was dispersed. It was kind of a, a soup kitchen that was going on daily to the widows and to others in need. But apparently, there was some disparity about the dispersion of that money and that food. And the Greek speaking widows were being overlooked, they were missing out. So, the first part of the problem was that people were falling through the cracks. The second part of the problem was this. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So you have the 12 apostles, 11, because Judas, right? Judas was replaced. So now you have 12, which represent the new Israel, 12 tribes, the 12 apostles were Hebraic Jews, not Hellenistic, not Greek speaking. They were Hebrew. So maybe it was natural for them to care for those that spoke the same language and had the same cultural expressions and experiences. Maybe they were more comfortable to be around, but it seems that they weren't purposefully leaving people out. They were just overwhelmed by the numbers of people that were coming to the table. So the first part of the problem was that Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. The second part of the problem was the danger of the gospel being neglected. The apostles were neglecting the Greek widows, but there was a danger that they would neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer in order to uphold social justice. The apostles weren't above serving widows. They weren't egotistical. It's just that their primary calling was to proclaim the word, to teach, to preach, to pray. And there was so much need that they were being stretched thin, and they weren't doing either all that well, it seems. There was this distribution of money, money from fields and houses, but there was not a distribution of, of gifts, spiritual gifts, roles, ministries of the Spirit. So this is what the apostles did. They, they listened, which is really cool. Generally, the most oppressed are dismissed, but the apostles listened They didn't get defensive or self-protective. They realized with humility that they had dropped the ball when it came to taking care of the Hellenistic part of the church. And so they proposed that the Hellenistic part of the church actually pick some people, some leaders who could take care of them. And this is the solution. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. So the seven chosen were from the community of those being overlooked. They were Greek-speaking, which was important because their primary responsibility was to wait tables of Greek-speaking people and widows. Will Willeman said, leadership drawn from the oppressed may do the best job of representing the interest of the oppressed. The apostles laid out this criteria for the job description. They were to be believers. They were to be well-respected. They were to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They were to be people of character, men of character, in spirit-filled, more than ability. So, the responsibility and the oversight of the dispersion of food and the care of the poor and disenfranchised and neglected was given to these seven guys. And the apostles were able to devote their attention to the ministry of the word and prayer. So, a couple of things just before we go on, I think are so important. This spirit led community is in moving with the Spirit, but in all of the growth, they are experiencing just growth pains. And part of those growth pains is just the chaos that people are falling through the cracks. And so to remedy the situation, the apostles listen, they pray, and then they actually appoint people. There is, they bring integration and they bring structure and organization. And both of those are so important for us as well. There was this ministry of the word and prayer, and there was this ministry of service and justice. It wasn't one or the other. There was an integration of the two. Pastoral care and social care. Neither was superior to the other. Both are serving God and his people. Both required being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if it was just ministry of the word and prayer, without physical, tangible, meeting the needs of the people, then it becomes lopsided and vice versa. If it's just social justice without the gospel, proclamation, without prayer, without ministry of the word, then it's lopsided. So there was integration, but there was also organization. There was a need to be reframed along the way, bringing order to chaos, which also I think is important for us. There's a a danger of idolizing structure and organization to the point where there is no life and everything is so structured that there is no flexibility to actually move with the Holy Spirit. You can fall off the other side of the horse where everything is so unstructured, so organic, that it's just kind of this blob. (laughs) Even look at your, your, how your body is designed. You are an organic creature, but you have bones, you have sinews, you have systems, right? So it's a both and gift of God, both for you as a person, but also for the house, for the church, There needed to be integration, but there also needed to be organization and structure. And so the Holy Spirit is reframing this new church already. And he continues to do that. New leadership, new organization, new structure, meeting spiritual and physical needs, meeting emotional and functional needs of the community. So, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. Yeah, that was awesome. This is good. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The people liked the idea, and they chose seven Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews. Nick was from Antioch, but they all had Greek names. Stephen and Philip are going to show up in the next couple of chapters. These were servant leaders, And their role was not just to wait on tables, as we see, their role also included preaching the word and performing miracles and reasoning with religious leaders and sharing the gospel. They were commissioned, they were, the apostles laid their hands on them and prayed for them and sent them into this work. So in these these seven verses, we see this integrating, organizing, empowering, and unleashing in order to meet the needs that existed in real time. And the result is in verse seven. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts one eight, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And if you've been around, you know how to finish the end. To the ends of the earth, right? Starts in Jerusalem, and you're seeing it happen. <laughs> thousands, tens of thousands at this point becoming followers of Jesus. So those are the The verses I wanted us to look at today. I want to ask you this question Where do you find yourself in the story? Who do you identify with in this story? Do you identify with the Greek speaking outsiders who were getting missed? Do you identify with the Hebrew speaking insiders who were oblivious that anyone was falling through the cracks? Do you identify with those being called and commissioned to serve? Let me address each of those. Some of us feel like the Greek-speaking widows in the story, the widows that were falling through the cracks. And I know some of you have experienced that in church. Anytime you go into a a new place, a new culture, a a place that you don't exactly uh, know people, it's difficult. And the thing about this place is that at some point, every single one of you experiences that. Both at Purdue and in this odd-shaped house. So you, you come in and you, you, you're not part of what's going on, at least you don't feel it. We're English speakers, so maybe it's not an English obstacle, maybe it's not a language obstacle, but there definitely is a, a language of a community, right? And if you're around long enough, you know, sometimes there are inside jokes and sometimes there are uh, things that you, seemingly everyone else knows that I don't, right? And so you feel like an outsider, and I can stand up here and say, you belong. You are, you are part of this family. And I believe that, but you might not feel that. You might feel like an outsider. You might feel like those Greek widows that are being neglected, that are falling through the cracks. So I wanna just say a couple of things to that. One is that I'm sorry. Our heart is that you would feel like this place is home whatever kind of home you came from, whatever geography, whatever situation, you're here for a few years. So our heart is that this would feel like family. This would feel like home. That you would be known, and you would know that you would be loved, and you would be able to love others, that you would catch a glimpse of God's delight in you, and the way that he brings the lonely and puts them in families, that you would so encounter Jesus that he would absolutely wreck your life, but part of that wrecking is that he says you belong to his body, to his church, to his house. There's nothing you have to do to achieve that. Just receive it. And yet, some of you come in here every Sunday and have for quite a while and have still felt missed. So I'm sorry for that. Sorry for that. The remedy for that is, uh, it's not an easy prepackaged remedy. I think it involves both us as a community to have eyes to see and hearts to love. And it also takes quite frankly, some impetus on each of our parts to move from autonomy into family. So let me just share this. Andre Nouwen says, in our world full of strangers estranged from our own past culture and country, from neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. Ah, that's our heart for this place. God has opened up the guest list. You belong because Jesus has opened up the door for you to be here. Ephesians 2 says you're no longer Strangers or outsiders, you belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a house, and He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what He is building. This is a this is a new humanity, Paul says, where there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, male or female. It's not a it's not a cultural smoothie, you know. There are still distinct. Ethnicities and cultures and languages, but the dividing walls have been removed. This community is meant to be a microcosm of the kingdom of God, where Jesus says people will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Which leads us to the second one. Some of us are like the apostles who were both oblivious to the need and stretched too thin in the responsibilities of life and work to have space to see it. There were, there were just too many people for 12 guys to meet all the needs that existed in community. You know, the typical stat is that 10% of the church does 90% of the ministry or the work. If that was true of your own body, that would be really tragic. But that's true of the body of Christ all too often. If we aren't bringing our particular gift and niche and passion and servant attitude to the body of Christ, then we all suffer as a church. Paul talks about, and Peter talks about, rather, the priesthood of all believers. Paul says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Grace is this gift to be received in its various forms. All of you uh, have experienced Jesus differently. There's only one way to the Father, that's through Jesus, but there are a couple hundred in this room ways that you have gotten to Jesus. In the same way, Grace being dispensed through your life to the world around you looks differently as well. There's variegation. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not cookie-cutter Christianity. It's not just the people that can play instruments or talk a bit. It's the whole body of Christ moving together. Some questions for us. Who is falling through the cracks, not just on Sundays or in a community group, but as we extend church outside these doors? How can all of us and each of us have eyes to see those around us? And even those of us that feel like we're falling through the cracks. Again, I think we have a, responsibility as a community, but even if I feel like I'm being missed, sometimes when I extend outside of that to actually see others that are feeling missed, falling through the cracks, not so that we can commiserate and say, man, church sucks, let's go do our own thing, but it's like, oh, we If I belong, I'm extending to you, right? Who is being neglected and overlooked? Who is lonely that could use a friend? What are the needs that exist on this campus and in our community? Who on your floor? Who in your apartment building? Who in your department? Who in your workplace? how can we reflect Jesus to those around us? If you're in a community group, you're in the last part of Colossians, and these are some questions that you are going to sort through, so I'm giving you a heads up. In what ways are you able to prevent decay and breakdown in the lives of those around you? In what ways are you committed to stopping evil on campus? In what ways are you able to live for Christ in the decisions you make at work? In what ways do you set boundaries to protect relationships in your community? In what ways do you draw people towards the things God delights in? In what ways has your presence flavored your neighborhood with the love of God? In what ways has your presence flavored Purdue with the truth of Christ? prayer is that every single one of us can identify with a third possibility, which is this. Those who are being called and commissioned to serve. Romans 12, Paul says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him Encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of the others, let him do it. give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is uh, a good one. What I love about it is that there is variegation in it. There is a a lot of different aspects of different gifts and niches and callings, but there's also an attitude that goes with it. If it's leadership, then do that diligently with integrity. If it's showing mercy, do that cheerfully. If it's contributing to the needs of others, do it generously, having this this heart and this attitude that moves past my entitlement and into this kingdom mentality, this family mentality, that because I belong, I contribute to the family. Because you belong, you contribute to the family. It's having this idea of this willingness that nothing is too mundane as we serve Jesus by serving both in the house and in our community. Uh, A few weeks ago, I put on the screen just some different alums that we support in your offering each week. And one of those was Jason Thiemann, who is a pilot for Missionary Aviation Fellowship. He, lives, he and his wife and kids live in Lesotho, South Africa. And I just got his newsletter yesterday, and he said he hasn't flown for five months. And this is a guy who lands planes on, think about a ski slope without snow. <laughs> this guy... He's the bomb, you know? I mean, he's like, to heroic portion, proportions, he, he, can, he can land a plane anywhere. And he hasn't flown a plane for five months because he has been spending 10 hours a day developing a manual behind a computer for all of their pilots and for all of their organization. Not glamorous, <laughs> but his servant heart is one that whatever needs done, right? My, my dad, I love this story. My, my dad um, was in ministry uh, really his whole life, and he had several degrees. Um, but this picture that I had of him was one of cleaning toilets and washing cars, he he regularly cleaned toilets in whatever setting he was in. And people would lend him their cars just so that they knew that it would be detailed when they got it back. To have this mentality in you, Paul says, this attitude that is similar to that of Jesus, who even though he was God, didn't hang on to that status, but actually washed feet and died for humanity, right? Paul talks about God making some parts of the body to be less visible. And a bulk of spiritual gifts are a bit off the radar. They're behind the scenes. A bulk of service is... Uh, you, you just don't see it. Even here, these chairs don't get magically set up every week. Joshua House guys come in every single week and set them up. Communion doesn't magically appear in the little thimbles, right? People come in, servant council comes in, hospitality council laying out coffee every every week, right? That's just a, a small portion of the behind the scenes, the serving in the house. There's also this integration of ministry of the word and ministry of service. You are... called into both this ministry of the word and ministry of service, of being people of the word, which is being people that are in the word, but actually letting the word get in you, being spiritually formed by the word on Sundays in community groups, but also just in your own room with your own friends being people of prayer, who constantly are praising and worshiping and thanks, giving thanksgiving, but who all also are listening and responding to the voice of God. People who are people of justice and of service in the house, but also in the community, Literally taking care of widows through caregiver companion. Literally befriending the, uh, the stranger <laughs> through being a friendship partner. Across the world or across the hall, living missionally with your life. So here's the thing. You belong at this table. We've established that. You belong in this family. And if you're just visiting, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you've been around a while, how do you move from guest status to family status? Think about your own family for a bit. If you had some friends or neighbors over for dinner, compared to Thanksgiving when your whole family came in, when the whole family comes to pitch in, right? Because Aunt Edna brings that corn thing that is just delicious. So you belong at the table, what are you bringing to the table? Who are you bringing to the table? Who are you becoming as you follow Christ and imitate him? Moving from perpetual guest to family member, from inviter invitee to inviter, from outsider to insider who has a heart to invite all outsiders to encounter the love of Jesus. To grace, how great